In the home in which I grew up, the prayer before the meal went like this. Bless this food to the nourishment of our bodies and our bodies to thy service. Amen. I'll confess, as a little kid, I, nourishment was a pretty big word. I'm not really sure what we meant by thy either. After time, it, it became clear. But there are those homes that have a little shortened version. Theirs goes something like this. For what we are about to receive, we thank you, O Lord. You get to the meal just a little, like a phrase sooner. And then others have mentioned before, but there's that version. And maybe this is the one you have in your house before a meal. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. By his hands we shall be fed. Let us thank him for our daily bread. Okay, um, if there's poetry, it should rhyme. All right? That's just a basic rule. And so we're either forced to make this prayer into God is great, God is good, let us thank him for our food. Um, or we have to become a little Swedish and we go God is great, God is good, let us thank him for our food. But the six, first six words of this prayer just shows how awesome this prayer is. And if you are praying this at your home, I am so glad you are. It is a wonderful prayer. God is great. God is good. You know, if God weren't good and God were, were only to be good, uh, were to only be great, uh, we would live in fear constantly. If God were only great, only powerful, and, and we weren't sure if this is the day he would be good, we would live in that kind of just abject fear. What will God's agenda be today? Will it be to harm us? Will it be to destroy us? Or will it be to bless us? Of course, if God were only good and not great, we would wonder, can God's goodness prevail today? Will it make its way through? Or will there be some other power that can overturn God's goodness? But thankfully, God is both great and God is good. This morning, what we're going to talk about is that second set of words, that God is good. God is good. We're, this fall, we're, uh, uh, our series is taking a look at the good and beautiful God. Uh, we're using a, a book that, along with our Sunday morning messages. We're not going to teach on Sundays out of the book. We have studies for that. We have study guides for that. If you'd like a copy of the book, there are some available in uh, the room just beyond these doors after uh, our worship time. On Sundays, what we're going to do is we're going to follow along the chapters that are in the book. And so today we are talking about God is good, which is chapter 2 in the book. Each week, what we're going to do is we're going to identify a verse. We think that these are the verses that if you wanted to collect some verses about God and who he is and memorize them, commit them to your own memory so that they could bless you later, or maybe even that you might be able to use them in a conversation with somebody else who has questions, that these would be great verses to memorize. And so for this morning, our verse is Psalm 34, 8. Psalm 34, 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Would you say that with me? Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. 
Amen. Of course, uh, whenever we look at a single verse, we want to make sure we understand it in its context. And there can be a different way to go about a Sunday morning conversation. Maybe we just take the idea of God's goodness and we go around to a bunch of different passages and, and teach the messages from those different passages. What we're going to do today is look actually at Psalm 34 itself to take this verse in, this, in, in the specific context that it comes to us and understand some things about God's goodness. Let's take a quick look at the structure of it. Maybe that might help as we read through and see how one part's connected to the other. There's, at first, there's an introduction, and these are some words that occur before the psalm. And, and as we've discussed before, scholars discuss whether these are uh, words that were provided at the time of the writing or if they were added sometime later to the psalm. Some people say that they're uh, more an association of the psalm and, and not necessarily a, a statement of authorship. And other people would say differently. Uh, in our situation today, there's a reference to David. In, in a time that we have a description of this time in 1 Samuel when David was in front of a king and, and he was fearful and so he began to act uh, out of his senses in order to be dismissed by the king. After this brief introduction, we find that David, we'll go ahead and use David's name here, that we find that David provides a personal testimony. He's experienced some things, and he wants to acknowledge it. I've experienced some things, and he kind of gives an invitation. I want you to experience them too. Here's, here's what I've experienced, and please, I want to share this with you. I invite you to share it with me. And then after that uh, personal testimony and time of invitation, what we find next from verse uh, 8 through verse 22 is um, a, a section that people would refer to as wisdom sayings. There's a certain pattern of, uh, 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 in a couplet where we can see that they're talking about uh, wisdom under God, the right application of knowledge to specific situations. And so what we have in this wisdom section is what they actually refer to, and we've used this term before, an inclusio. That in verse 8, we find the words, who takes refuge? And in verse 22, we find those who take refuge. And the repetition of these two uh, phrases, or this, this phrase, sets the boundaries for this section of Scripture. And so we'll take a look at the different parts as we make our way through our conversation this morning. Well, with these things in mind, let's go ahead and read our text. I encourage you, go ahead and open up your Bible. It's going to be helpful to have it in front of you. And we provide some for you, so go ahead and open those. Uh, the book of Psalms is really right in the center of, um, of the Bible. And so find Psalm 34. We'll also put it on the screen, but it'll be helpful to have your Bible open. Hear the word of God. Of David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, so that he drove him out and he went away. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. 
Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut, uh, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. May God bless. May God bring his goodness to the reading of this word. And may God bless, bring his goodness to our time as well. Today, what we're going to do is we're going to do, take a look at two points. There could be more points. We're going to look at just two points from our passage. And then there is an opportunity to also take a look at three responses. So two points and three responses. Here's the first point. God is pure good. God is pure good. So let's talk a little bit about our concept of good. And as a warning, I brought props today, okay? So um, beware. So um, we know uh, in our sense that there's this concept of good. And we can say, oh, it's good. That's good. Although as much as, as good as good is, we might like the idea of maybe something just a little bit better. There's good, but there's better. And as good as we like good, we'd like to have a little bit better. Of course, even when there's better, sometimes it comes along that we would like to have the best. By the way, this is an incredible marketing ploy. Uh, companies establish good, better, and best. There was a, 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 a fancy schmancy uh, chef's store uh, where they had a, a good coffee maker and they had a better coffee maker. That's all they had. The better coffee maker was $270. They didn't sell many of them. That is until they introduced the best coffee maker, which was about $450, somewhere around there. They didn't sell many of those, but they began to sell a lot more of the better coffee makers. We like good, but if better is available, we'd like to have that. And oh gosh, we really love the best. What we don't like is bad. We, we don't like bad. We, we would rather have good, and if we're experiencing bad, then we, we want things to change because we would either have it be good, better, or best. Now, there could have been um, kind of good and, and even worse or absolute worst of all, uh, but I only had four boxes of cereal at home to wrap. So we went with those. 
So we have our concept of good, and we see things in relationship, and we wonder about God. Where does God fit into this spectrum? And on any given day, if, if we're experiencing good, we might think God is good. Or maybe life is going along, and, we, and it's our best day ever, and we think God is just absolutely the best. But when things go wrong, and we're having troubles, and things are feeling bad, we wonder about the goodness of God. The Bible takes a different approach. The Bible understands God as pure good. It's not as though there was some concept of goodness that we warped to explain God. Just the opposite. The Bible takes a look at who God is what God has revealed and how God acts, and we understand that as goodness. That God isn't on some spectrum that, that he can shift around, that God being bad or good or better or best, but that God, by definition, because of who God is, that God is pure good. There's this verse in John chapter 1, verse 5 where the affirmation of this point is made that this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. That God is good and in him is no bad. That God is good and in him is no wicked. That God is pure good. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. God is purely good. And so the verse is the encouragement, the exhortation. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. It's a poetic way of saying experience him. Come forward. This is a good God. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blesses the one who takes refuge, who, who comes under God's goodness that whether a day happens to be a bad day, a good day, a better day, or your best day ever, that we come under God's goodness, that God's pure goodness is where we reside, that we take refuge under God's goodness. So the first point is God is pure good. The second is this. Nothing will deter God's, uh, the goodness of God. Nothing will deter the goodness of God, or flipping that around in a positive statement. God's goodness always prevails. God's goodness always prevails. We find it in that part of our passage, uh, verses 15 through 22. If, if you look at that passage, we find these phrases that describe how life sometimes seems, sometimes is. We find in verse 15 these words, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. Already that hints at that there are times where even those who are set apart by God, even those that are in a right relationship with God will cry out to God that life is hard. In verse 16, the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. There's an affirmation there that there is evil in this world. 
in verse 17, when the righteous cry for help, verse 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. The righteous crying out for help. The, there are peoples whose hearts are broken. He saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Verse 19, verse 22, the Lord redeems the life of his servants. Even the fact that his servants would be in a position where they need to be redeemed, they need to be called out, they need to be saved from condemnation. And what David does here, what the psalmist does for us, he says, listen, life is hard. There are, and simply because we're righteous, there would be the experience of hardship in this world. Jesus said, hey, in this world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. He said, listen, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. There is hardship in this world. We know that there are difficulties. What the psalmist tells us is, he says that, None of those things can undo the pure goodness of God. Yes, there are bad days, and there may be many bad days, but none of that undoes the pure goodness of God. So no matter what situation we are in, whether it's bad, good, better, or best, God's goodness will always prevail. If you're married... Have you ever had those days where you wonder about the goodness of your marriage? In fact, maybe you think, well, I guess we have a good marriage. I'm sure it could be better. I've longed for the best marriage. Maybe you've concluded already that the relationship is bad. What the psalmist points out is that there is nothing that uh, can overcome the goodness of God. That whatever situation we find ourselves in, that none of that will upset God's goodness. Even if we have the worst of days, the worst of seasons, the, the, the most struggles in a relationship we've ever experienced, God's goodness remains. M maybe it's not a marriage situation. May maybe it, it has to do with your bank account. And you're going, I don't know how we're going to get through these days. I don't know how we're going to survive. And you wonder, and there's, there's a sense of fear, and, and where do we turn? Nothing undoes the goodness of God. I wrote in the weekly update this past week of a, of a time in my own life and I've had a whole bunch of ups and downs just like everybody else. And, but there was a, a, a time in my life where really all of my usual tools were taken away. Lost the job. We had uh, economic insecurity. We had family health problems. We didn't know where we were going to live. We lost our church community. I felt low. I felt like a failure. I felt like it was some of the baddest, worst days of my life. And I found in that time, I couldn't turn just to a vision of, well, days will be better, or, or gosh, I, I hope things will get improved, and one day it might be good. And I, I really wasn't feeling hopeful, but I found myself just gravitating toward the goodness of God, that there was no place to turn. I couldn't solve the problems. And yet nothing could keep God from being good. 
the goodness of God always prevails. David gives a personal testimony to this. We find this in verses 4 through 7. Again, if you have your Bible open to Psalm 34, listen to what David says. He describes it. The psalmist says it this way, I, saw, I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. It's like the, the, the bad things can't splash up onto them and stick to them. Because God's goodness defines them. This poor man, speaking to him of himself, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. This is the work of God. Maybe you've heard that teaching by Beth Moore in her Bible study on the book of Daniel. Referring to hardships, and she's referring to the fire that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego um, uh, are in the midst of. She makes this wonderful point. She, she says that, you know, sometimes God saves us from hardships. And so, in so doing, he builds our faith. And so he, he prevents us from going into some kind of a bad situation. And he saves us from that hardship. And, and he says, okay, great, I'm going to build your faith. You're going to see me working on your behalf. And sometimes he saves us through the hardship. That he would use that hardship to refine our faith. And sometimes, as Beth Moore points out, sometimes he saves us by the hardship. Into his arms. And so perfects our faith. But whatever it is, it is the good God acting, the purely good God acting. There's a text we've mentioned a good number of times, Jeremiah 29, 11. A text that's written to God's people as they're being sent into exile. It'll be uh, a couple generations that'll, that'll be in exile, be away from their homes. And God says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. This good God, in the midst of hardship, in the midst of tough times, God's saying, I am good. I've got plans for you. We find it in Romans as well, in the New Testament. Paul writes, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. It's who God is. Nothing will deter the goodness of God. God's goodness always prevails. All right, so how do we respond to this? If God is purely good, what, what are we to do? What, how are we to make sense of that in our life? The first action I think we can take is, we actually find it mentioned several times in our text, and that's to cry out. Just cry out. If you find yourself having bad days, also if you find yourself having good or better or best days, but cry out. We find it in verse 6. It says in verse 6, uh, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him. We find it in verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. Verse 17, when the righteous cry for help. It's the same message as those who take refuge. Cry out. 
take refuge, seek the goodness of God, call for the goodness of God in the midst of any kind of day. um, It's not just simply a call for a relative good. It's not, by the way, we can pray if we're having a good day. We can pray, God, would, would you tweak the day and may it be even better or maybe it's even the best day and we can pray for different things along that, that line. But it's not just about that. We cry out, God, we need your, your pure goodness. I need your pure goodness to define who I am regardless of the kind of day I'm having. I need your pure goodness. The first thing we do is we cry out. The second thing we do is we enjoy God's goodness. We enjoy God's goodness. We find it in these words. This is uh, verses one through three. Listen to how David, how the psalmist enjoys God's goodness. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Those are words of worship. And to worship God is to enjoy God. To be, it's not worship in the sense of, well, I, I got to go to worship. It'll be about an hour long. Then I'm free to do what I want. It's a sense of God, you are purely good. And in my relationship, I get to enjoy your pure goodness. And your pure goodness defines me and defines my future. It defines my reality. And so we can enjoy the goodness of God. I love the story of Mary and Martha in that context in the New Testament where Martha calls out to Jesus and says, Jesus, tell my sister Mary to get off her tuchus and come over here and help me. There's so many chores to do. I don't think she actually said tuchus. I think that might be a variant. And Jesus said, listen, Martha, Mary's chosen the better thing. She was sitting at his feet and she was enjoying her Lord. She was before her Lord. And for us to take that that sense of we're not just out here doing all these different things, but we're taking advantage of the pure goodness of God and enjoying God's goodness and God who is good. The third thing we do is we uh, we would do good in light of God's goodness. We would do good in light of God's goodness. Look at this, verse nine. Verse 9, O fear the Lord, you his, uh, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. To do good is to fear God, to be in awe of God, to revere him. By the way, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's a wisdom statement. The, the fear of the Lord, having this awe of God. God, you are purely good. I am going to be in awe of you. That's an act of doing good, uh, doing good toward God that we would fear the Lord. The next thing we would pick up is in verse 13. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from spreading lies. The Bible actually has quite a bit to say about the words and the power of our words in this world, that in response to God's pure goodness, that we would speak goodness to other people around us, that we wouldn't defile other people, we wouldn't gossip, we wouldn't bring strife with our words, but in response to God's pure goodness, that we would choose to speak goodness toward others. In verse 14, we find a more general teaching, turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Give your life to the good things of God in this world. In other words, take the high road, or as our church talks about it, 
always represent the love of Christ. Or as Jesus put it, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Do good in response to God's goodness. God is great. God is good. So let us thank him for his goodness. Let's let his pure goodness be our refuge. Be what we come under in all of our situations. Let's pray together. Father, we know how easy it is to judge you by the experiences we have in our life. To come up with our estimation upon you based on our visions for how we want to live. That on our worst days, we might think you're the worst. Would you forgive us? Would you take that pride and and rework in us, transform us, that we would embrace this humility before you and we would recognize your pure goodness. And so, God, we cry out to you. We cry out to you. Meet us in whatever hardship we happen to face, whatever struggle we have, and whatever grief or loss or concern or fear we might have. Would your pure goodness be that which we fall under? May your pure goodness be our refuge. We give you praise, God. You are the great and good God. In Christ's name, amen.